You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett. And you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statute podcast, episode number 69. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 30. And when the hour came, he sat at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after supper, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it was that would do this. A dispute also arose among them, which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For which is the greater, one who sits at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Early in our reading today, we heard several verses that are certainly familiar to Orthodox Christians which is a portion of the prayer that we hear at the Anaphora during the Divine Liturgy. So I wanted to focus here on the institution of the Holy Eucharist. And that term may be foreign to many Christians. Uh, Some may know this as communion or the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. And this, of course, has been a a hotly debated topic uh, about what communion is and what it means since the time of the Reformation, Father. But I'd like to hear from you on the scriptural understanding of the Eucharist and its significance. And, and of course, by the way, uh, you only have a few minutes to hash this out, so so good luck. <laughs> That's great, because I don't really want uh, too much time to have to fill to speak on any one topic. Uh, so we'll try to keep it short and sweet and, and to the point. And as is often the case when we talk about hotly debated topics in theology, what ends up happening, usually starting from good intention, but perhaps happening either over periods of time, over subsequent generations, or because people start to dig in their heels to you know, their side, as, as you might think about it, is that both sides or all sides start to miss the full picture of what's going on. Okay, Father, let's begin by uh, digging into that a bit. Well, in churches like ours that are liturgical, especially churches where you have communion every Sunday, and oftentimes we also, of course, have it during the week at certain feasts and so forth, you really get an emphasis on the Eucharist being the body and blood of Christ. And, of course, that's what we Orthodox profess and teach, and it's obviously biblical. Yeah, perhaps uh, you can explain that a little more about how the Eucharist uh, or Holy Communion is biblical. The first reference to what people often call the Last Supper or what we Orthodox often refer to as the mystical supper, 
is actually in St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. So remember last week we spoke about how the epistles predated, chronologically speaking, the Gospels. So already in Paul's writing, you have the mention of Jesus instituting the celebration of the Eucharist, which in simple terms just means that Jesus was beginning the celebration of the Eucharist. And what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in that chapter, Paul begins the section speaking of the Eucharist as delivering to the Corinthians, quote, what he had received from the Lord. And what does he say that he had received from the Lord? He talks about how on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, that Jesus had a meal with his disciples, and during that meal he gave thanks for the bread, he broke it and distributed it, and said for the disciples to take it and eat it, that it was his body that was broken for them. And then he did similarly with the cup of wine, saying it was his blood. And for both, they should celebrate this feast, as it were, in remembrance of Jesus. And that term remembrance is something of extreme importance in the Bible and something that I think we often miss. So what does it mean then, Father, uh, to do this, to participate in communion in remembrance of Christ? The word remembrance used here in Greek is the word anemnesis. Anemnesis is actually a technical term today in what we call liturgical theology because every ancient Christian liturgy, every ancient Christian worship service has a section referred to as the anemnesis that includes a remembrance. But note that the anemnesis is not just a recalling of Jesus' words of the Last Supper. Uh, And what is it, Father? The anemnesis, the remembrance, actually begins in our liturgy well before we get to the words of institution, as they're called, those words where Jesus, according to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, as I mentioned, said, take and eat. The remembrance actually begins with a recalling, a summary of the entire biblical teaching, the entire biblical narrative, going clear back to the creation, going through the Old Testament, and then concluding with the remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice and how he gave his life for us, and in fact, even looking forward to the great judgment when Jesus will return again to judge the living and the dead. But what I really want to stress is that in modern times, especially in America, we have often minimized this anemnesis, this remembrance, to a mere intellectual remembrance, a calling to mind, so to speak. The word had a much deeper meaning at the time of Paul throughout most of human history, really, and certainly to those of us today like the Orthodox in liturgical traditions. And what is that uh, deeper meaning? Yeah, well, it's, it's difficult to explain. But the remembrance means it as though you are actually participating in the event itself. It's not as though Christ is re-sacrificed at every liturgy. That's not what it means. But it's as though we are transported, for lack of a better word. We're transported to participating in his once-for-all sacrifice. And by the way, this is, this is why right after this passage where Paul tells us the institution in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he immediately then talks about how we should not partake of the body and blood of the Lord in an unworthy manner, noting that some have even become sick or died from doing so. So it was a very serious matter to St. Paul, and not just some sort of an intellectual remembrance, but noting that we essentially participate in that event. And then just more broadly, conclude this part, I would note that the acts of remembrance in the Old Testament were the same way. Passover, the Feast of Booths, all of those main feasts on the Jewish calendar were for the Jews to participate in those events that they were not alive to experience 
firsthand in real time. And that's the purpose, for example, with the Feast of Booths, of actually living in the booth or the tent during the duration of that feast. So this is not just limited to the Eucharist or Holy Communion. The, this idea of remembrance has deep biblical roots. I appreciate your explanation, Father. It's, it's good to know about the meaning of remembrance in the biblical Greek and how serious that is for us as Christians, uh, as well as the, uh, the older remembrances that you mentioned from the Old Testament. You had mentioned, though, at the beginning that sometimes we miss other aspects that are important to Holy Communion. So would you uh, take a moment and explain those now? Yeah, so what I was getting at earlier is that a lot of the liturgical churches have dug in their heels so much about the importance of the Eucharist. And, you know, as I just explained, it obviously is important and an essential aspect of Christian worship, not just something that we should do occasionally when we feel like it. But some have dug in their heels so much that they can miss an equally important aspect of Holy Communion and of the liturgy, and that is the biblical teaching. Uh, And what do you mean by that? The setting of the Last Supper, the setting of Paul's community in 1 Corinthians, where he talks about Holy Communion, and the setting of all the Old Testament feasts, where there is a remembrance, as I just noted, the setting is around the biblical teaching. And what that means is that a major, essential aspect of that feast is the reading and then the teaching of Scripture. And unfortunately, so many Orthodox, sometimes people from other liturgical traditions feel the need, whether it be implicitly or explicitly, that to stand up for the traditional understanding of the importance of the Eucharist, of Holy Communion, that we then need to essentially minimize the role of Scripture. And that's just not the case. Holy Communion in the Orthodox tradition, outside a person's a possible final communion on their deathbed, is always associated with biblical readings preceding that. So there's that context. And again, the broader context in both ancient Jewish and Christian communities, and for that matter, even in many non-Judeo-Christian traditions, was that the community was seated at the table of fellowship and that there would be some sort of a biblical reading and then the leader of the community would teach. That was just part of the meal. You know, think about even many of us, like uh, you and I, Jason, are old enough to remember that this was a common tradition even in American households. Uh, Remember, as I said, it is not strictly a a Judeo-Christian practice, but we're old enough to remember that families would gather around the dinner table for a meal, and it was an opportunity for the parents to teach and instruct their children as they spoke about their day and things going on in the world. Now, just to conclude this part, know that there is a rule in the Orthodox Church that a person should not come forward to receive Holy Communion if they arrive after the Scripture readings. And that rule is there, obviously, for a reason. And note the cutoff. It's not at some uh, of the daily hymns. It's not at the Trisagian prayers or anywhere else. They must arrive in time to hear the Word of God proclaimed if they wish to partake of the Word of God in Holy Communion. So these two things, the Eucharist and the teaching of Scripture, should never be separated or even seen as competing or one being more important than the other. They're entirely complementary, and one is not done without the other. Very good. Thank you, Father. Last question for today. In our reading, we uh, heard that a dispute arose among the disciples as to who was the greatest. And Jesus then goes on to say, quote, Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For which is greater, one who sits at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at table? But I am among you as one who serves. 
How should we understand this, Father? Well, there are two major things to understand from it. First, I could see how the wording of this passage could be confusing, but what Jesus is saying is that he is clearly, Jesus is clearly sitting at the head of the table as the teacher, as the one who is greater. And that's why he points out that the one who sits uh, at table, like himself, is greater than the one who serves. Yet notice that in Jesus' kingdom, even though he is the greatest and sitting at the head of the table, he still serves. And that is his example and the example that we should follow. If we wish to be as great as Jesus, then we must also serve, even if we consider ourselves to be the greater. Actually, I would say, especially if we consider ourselves to be greater than another, we must serve them. And then the second thing to point out is how the disciples clearly didn't get it at the time. They just, they didn't get Jesus' teaching. So here's Jesus talking about going to this humiliating death, talking about his body being broken and his blood spilled, and the disciples can think of nothing better to do than discuss which among them will be greatest. So, you know, the passage is taking a shot at the disciples, essentially, and by extension, taking a shot at us who still care about being great in this world who worry about what others will think about us more than worry about doing what is right. And so let me just conclude this episode, uh, hopefully tie it together. What I just said about how this criticism of the disciples is by extension a criticism of us. Uh, that's what it means to have a remembrance, an anemnesis. It brings us into the event. It sucks us into the narrative. We, are, we see ourselves in that story and understand that the scripture applies not to just some past generation, but it applies directly to us. Thank you, Father. Today's discussion began with an explanation of the biblical support for the institution of the Eucharist. The earliest mention of this is found in 1 Corinthians, where St. Paul writes of what he had received from the Lord, namely the events of the Last Supper. Here we discussed the importance of the remembrance recalled by Paul, and Father Aaron described what is meant by a remembrance in this context. This remembrance is not just a recalling of the words of the Last Supper, but rather an experience in which we are transported to participating in his once-for-all sacrifice. Father Aaron also stressed that there is so much emphasis around the importance of the Eucharist that we can easily miss the equally important aspect of Holy Communion and of the liturgy, which is the biblical teaching. We see in the setting of the Last Supper and of all the Old Testament feasts that the central aspect is the reading and teaching of Scripture. And Holy Communion in the Orthodox tradition is always associated with biblical readings. And in fact, there is a rule that one should not come forward to receive Holy Communion if they arrived after the Scripture readings. We must hear the Word of God if we are to receive the Eucharist. And so the Eucharist and the teaching of Scripture should never be separated or seen as competing, for they are entirely complementary and essential. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God.